Hey, good evening. So, true story. One time I was uh, speaking at a church, and I was trying to adjust the uh, stand, podium thing, and it clean popped off and hit me right in the face in front of the whole congregation. So, uh, I was like, hi, church. I'm a moron. Uh, it's like, the guy can't even outsmart a stand. What does he know about Jesus? Um, anyway, yeah, uh, like he said, uh, my name is Christopher Scroggins. Uh, my wife and I and our five children, yes, five, um, we just got back from serving in the Czech Republic. We got back about six months ago. I guess, can I still say just got back? Does that count? We were over there for two years, so it feels like, you know, just got back. And uh, Skylar and Katie, you're going to have the best time overseas. You're going to get there, and, and you're going to be in this culture, and no one's going to understand you, and you're going to feel awkward for about nine months. So, uh, y'all are going to have fun. It's going to be great. So, the best is when, like, the people in line, if you're, like, like the worst for me, right, was, uh, was at the checkout lines, because in Europe, in the Czech Republic, they don't have, like, somebody to bag for you, and the cashier hates her life, right? They just flat out hate their life. And so what they want to do is make you look like a fool. And as I already clearly stated, that's easy. I mean, all you need is this, right? But they just like, they rapid fire the things through there. Like, they don't even scan everything. They're just like, pow, 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 pow. And you're like, slow down, you know? And, uh, and then everybody behind you is like glaring at you because they're European, right? They don't smile, they just glare. It's like the worst... So one of the first phrases I learned in Czech was this sentence. Ja, isem, bilbe, elmik. That means I'm a stupid American, right? And it was so useful because I'm like doing stuff, you know. I, I look like, you know those commercials where it's like the idiot husband commercial? You know, like the, the husband's like in the back, like stuck in the blinds. And the wife's like, my husband. <laughs> and he's like, Ugh. like, that's like me on a good day. And so, like, of course I'm doing things awkward, and people are, like, glaring at me because, again, they're grumpy Europeans, so they're just glaring. And I'm just like, Sim Bilbiamik. And they're like, you are an idiot. That's so true. Really, really easy to diffuse situations, you know, because we have common understanding now, right? It's like, I know I'm dumb. You know I'm dumb. We can, we can bond over this. But uh, anyway, um, yeah, so that's a little bit about me. Real uplifting. Are you all excited to hear what I have to say? Anyway. Um, all right, if you have your Bibles with you, uh, go ahead and open up to John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. If you don't have your Bibles with you, they have like electronic devices and stuff where you can uh, check them out, you know? Um, sorry. I always tell myself, don't forget to set the timer on your phone so you don't talk forever. Um, there we go. If we're lucky, that'll buzz in my pocket and scare me and totally throw off my train of thought. So, all right, fingers crossed, right, everybody? Anyway, okay, open your Bibles to John 14, 1 through 6, or your Bible apps or whatever. Um, Yeah. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. Let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, we need you. Um, Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come in. Uh, Lord, you're, you're welcome in this place, God. We surrender the right of our minds, our hearts, our spirits to you, God. We ask you and give you the authority to speak to us, Lord, and to, to put your finger on things in our hearts and minds that, that maybe we need to work on. God, we love you. You are so good. We love you. Amen. All right. So before we get to that, I want to tell a little story, okay? Um, I want to tell you about my best friend. Is that okay? So my best friend, his name is Michael Jackson. Not like the king of pop that had a Neverland ranch, but he's a short, fat, white guy that can't dance. So he's like the antithesis of Michael. He's the antimatter Michael Jackson. He's an alternate universe Michael Jackson that snuck into our world, right? I don't know how it works. But Michael and I bonded because way back, we've known each other since junior high, okay? We bonded because his name is Michael Jackson, and he got made fun of a lot, and I'm me, so I got made fun of a lot. So we're like buddies, right? And Michael is the reason I ended up going to Sam Houston State University in Huntsville, Texas. Anybody? Anybody heard of that one? No? Yeah, eat them up cats, right? Yeah. Anyway, if you like, if you like prisons, visit Huntsville. You know, anybody? I can see death row from my house. Is that cool? It's kind of morbid, I think. And it's like, oh, protesters. I wonder what's happening. Oh, okay. Anyway, so... I went to community college uh, for, for a year, and then Michael went to Sam Houston State. And then as I'm wrapping up my community college time, he's like, hey, you should come to Sam. And I'm like, why? And he's like, because it's cheap, and it has this thing called Chi Alpha. And I was like, okay, I'll try it out, you know. And so I go to Chi Alpha and uh, go to Sam Houston State, and um, Michael and I were roommates for like two years, okay. And... Um, so Michael majored in radio TV, RTV, right? And he made the foolish decision to focus on radio. Anybody still listen to the radio? There's like eight people. Yeah, exactly. It's a dying industry. So he's like, hey, I got a degree. And they're like, yeah, there's no more jobs. You know? But there's something about like the, the RTV department that they were just, they had some weird ideas kind of floating around, you know, like, you know, each department kind of has their own little attitudes, you know what I'm talking about? Like when you're walking on campus and you start seeing people that look homeless, you're like, oh, I'm near the art department, you know? Um, <laughs> and then you start going to another area and you're like, hey, these people have no social skills, banned, you know? And so you just, RTV was just the weirdos, you know? And they just had funny ideas, right? And, and so Michael, one of his professors, he came home and he was like laughing, he told me this. One of his professors said, he said, perception is reality even if it's false. Your perception is reality even if it's false. Right? And if you think about that for a minute, you're like, okay, no. Wait, no. No. You know, here's the fake news problem, right? You know, like, that's explained. So Michael, being the lazy college student that he is, right? Or was. He graduated. I should say was. Yeah, he did graduate. Only took him like six years, but he graduated, right? Um, so Michael, being the lazy college student that he was, one time he forgot to write a paper for this professor's class, right? So he walks up to him with a blank sheet of paper and goes, I perceive this as an A, right? Pretty clever, right? <laughs> the professor was like, F, you know? 
Um, which I'm like, hypocrite, you know? But isn't it funny, like when he was faced with reality, his philosophy just kind of fell apart. Uh, I remember another time Michael and I were working on a project because I was his roommate, so I always got sucked into these things, right? And, and I was, uh, we were working on a project, and it was like a word on the street thing. You know what I'm talking about? Where like you talk to random people on campus, you know, just like they have a camera in their face, like, I'm going to ask you a question. Don't freak out. You know, don't freeze. And everybody's like, you know, you could ask somebody like, what's the first letter in the alphabet? And you have a camera in their face, and they're just like, I have to go now. <laughs> All right? But anyway, we're asking students, you know, what, what do you think of truth? You know, what, what is your concept of truth? Because we're trying to be deep and philosophical, because that's what college students do, right? And, and I remember we, we talked to this one girl in particular, and we're like, what do you think of truth? And she goes, I think truth is subjective. And I'm like, okay, so rather than an objective truth, a truth that is true always, no matter what, you believe in a subjective truth. It depends on the person, right? And she was like, yes, I absolutely believe that truth is relative. That'll catch up with some of you. I absolutely believe that truth is is relative, right? That's really funny to me. And there's something about like the, the spirit of our age, right, that we, we just don't like exclusive statements. That just kind of freaks us out. Like we don't like final, you know, we don't like to draw dividing lines. That's why everybody's like, hey, you coming to hang out? Maybe, you know. We all know they mean no, but we don't want to say it because it's mean, you know. And so we don't like these exclusive statements. The, the satirical writer Steve Turner, I think he put it best um, in his, he wrote this satirical poem called Creed. It's fa- fantastic. Y'all should look it up. Uh, but the last stanza, he says this, we believe that each man must find the truth that is right for him. Reality will adapt accordingly. The universe will readjust. History will alter. We believe that there is no absolute truth excepting the truth that there is no absolute truth. And that's how we think. And that's like the popular prevalent attitude in our culture today. But here we find Jesus at the Last Supper, hanging out with his friends for the last time, and he makes this really offensive statement. And he says, I am the way, not a way, but I am the way, only one, right? And I remember when I first got saved, I grew up in a non-Christian home, and I remember when I, when I first got saved, my mom was asking me one time, like, how can you believe in a God that only made one way to God? Why not more than one way so that more people can go to heaven? Well, that, that's kind of a, a good thought, I guess. But the more you think about it, with the nature of humanity, I'm willing to bet if God made a million ways, we'd petition him for a million and one. And that's because we want heaven on our terms. Right? Now, let me tell you why that's a bad idea, okay? The reason why I am the way is an exclusive statement is because Christ is the way. That means that the way to heaven is relationship. And when you get to the bottom of a relationship, the bottom of the relationship is you either know someone or you don't. You either have a relationship or you don't. So because relationship is how you get to heaven. Because Jesus is the way, and relationship is how you know him. You either know him or you don't. So it must be exclusive. 
Secondly, God jealously guards the atmosphere of heaven and will not allow our selfishness to spoil his home like we spoiled the earth. You ever think about that? Like, why, why, why can't selfish people go to heaven? Because they'd ruin heaven. Have you ever lived with a roommate that got out of the dishes all the time, never did the dishes? Anybody? Anybody? You know? <laughs> you feel me, right? I'm like, I'm like a dish Nazi, like, clean your dishes, you know? My kids have like, if you say forks around my kids, they have PTSD flashbacks. I'm like, wash them, you know? Like, hey, would you like, no, oh, okay, a fork, eating, okay. No, I'm just kidding. I don't hurt my children, all right? It was a joke. Calm down. Are we recording this? Can we edit that? Okay, edit. Thank you. Good. Um, no, like, could you imagine living with that roommate? Like, they, they had a couple years of their life to weasel out of, getting, of doing the dishes, right? Could you imagine if they had all eternity to practice getting out of the dishes? What if they had all eternity to practice being a jerk, Right? Heaven would be horrible because it would be full of guys that were really good at being jerks and really good at not, being, not doing the dishes, right? God guards the atmosphere of heaven because he doesn't want our selfishness to ruin it, right? Okay. Secondly, there's this funny little thing that happens in verse 4, right? Jesus is talking to the disciples and he goes, you know the way to the place where I am going. And it clearly... The disciples don't seem to think that they do, right? And when I read this, it, it kind of made me pause and dig a little deeper. So I looked up the Greek word for way, right? And it's hodos, okay? And the first meaning, the most common meaning of this word was way, like path or road, you know? But the second meaning, the second most common meaning was a course of conduct a manner of thinking, feeling, or deciding. So a way of acting, a way of being, right? And when we examine Jesus' claims as the way, the only way, in light of the second meaning of this word, we find even more depth to what he's saying, right? So Jesus is the way. That means Jesus is how we should think, feel, decide, and act. Does that make sense? The way Jesus was is how we should be, right? So when Jesus is acting and explaining his actions, when he's describing to us a certain way to live, he's describing reality. He's describing something exclusive. Does that make sense? And, and notice, he's, he's giving us laws, right? He's giving us rules. But his rules aren't like a speed limit, right? Speed limit, it's like, Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to confess something. I drove 79 miles per hour on the way here. Okay? I, I went over, over the 75 speed limit on the highway. I'm really sorry. Not, not my road. Uh, there's, there's like farm to market. I took farm to market roads because I don't like highways, and it's more fun. You know, when you're like, oh, look at cow. Oh, my God, I almost died. It's more fun, you know? Keeps you up. Right? But I, I broke the speed limit, right? Because the speed limit's an arbitrary number. They change it like every 10 years, you know? And you're telling me if, if I go one mile per hour over, like the universe will disintegrate into some kind of weird Doctor Strange thing, you know? Like, oh God, I'm in the mirror universe. How did this happen? You know? No, that doesn't happen because that's arbitrary. 
But what Jesus is talking about, when he gives us laws, when he gives us this way of thinking, feeling, acting, and deciding, he's describing the universe from an infinite perspective. Right? God's laws are descriptions of reality from an infinite perspective. Let me say that again. God's laws are descriptions of reality from an infinite perspective. Right? So when Jesus says, the soul that sins, he shall die. Wow, that's heavy. When Jesus says, the soul that sins, he shall die. What he's saying is, verily I say unto thee, if thou cast thyself off of an exceedingly great height, without a bat suit, parachute, parachute, hang glider, or airplane, thou shalt accelerate towards the ground at 9.8 meters per second squared, and when thy strikest thy head against the ground, thou shalt be paced. Amen. Right? The laws that God gives us are more akin to the laws of gravity than the laws of traffic. Right? And so when we live contrary to his rules, when we live contrary to his way, we are becoming more and more detached from reality. We are becoming more and more unreal. And just like driving on the wrong side of the road, eventually you or someone else get hurt. Does that make sense? Curiously, when you study the Bible and really dig in, if you want to be a super nerd and count this stuff, there are 413 verses on the eternal consequences of sin. 413. But there are 2,501 verses on the earthly here and now consequences of sin. It's almost like God cares how you act here. So Jesus is not giving us a threat of punishment. He's, he's giving us a result of living contrary to reality. Does that make sense? Okay. I'll give a couple il- illustrations. Uh, first one is Francis Thompson. Uh, he is, uh, any poetry nerds in here? Anyone? It's, you can keep your hand down. It's okay. Oh, you have one brave soul. Bless you. All right. Uh, we can be friends later. Um, so Francis Thompson, he, uh, he was a British guy that lived uh, in the late 1800s, all right? And he spent three years of his life addicted to opium, living on the slums on the, on the banks of the River Thames. And what he'd do is he'd dig through, like, dust bins to find paper and pencil, and he'd write this beautiful prose and, and stories and poetry. And then he would mail it in to publishers or mail it in to the newspaper editors, and everyone in London was panicking. They were freaking out because they're, they're like, this guy is brilliant. Like one editor is re- remarked as saying, like, one greater than Milton is among us, and we don't know who he is. It's a homeless guy. Eventually, he, he got saved and got right with the Lord. And he talks about his conversion experience in his most famous poem called The Hound of Heaven. In The Hound of Heaven, he says this line, but with unhurrying chase and unperturbed pace, Deliberate speed, majestic instancy, they beat, and a voice beat, more instant than the feet. All things betray thee, who betrayest me. And later he says, lo, not contents thee, who contents not me. What he's talking about, in very fancy language, is that when you go against reality, you only hurt yourself. You can either fall upon the rock, or the rock will fall upon you. All things betray thee who betrayest me. Uh, I used to, um, 
I used to run a restaurant. Um, I was a manager at a terrible Mexican food restaurant in Huntsville. Uh, I used to call it the restaurant-shaped toilet because I did not like working there, but paid the bills, right? Um, I did do a good job. I just didn't enjoy it. Is that okay? Can I say that? Yeah. Anyway, I'm being honest with y'all, right? Y'all are like, this guy's terrible. One, he's dumb. Two, he like scares his kids with forks. Um, anyway, I remember, so one day in particular, you know, um, I, I don't know how it came up. I don't remember how it came up, uh, but my wait staff learned that my wife and I had saved ourselves for marriage, right? Because they were like, hey, we heard you're Christian. I'm like, yeah. And like, are you like real Christian? I'm like, yeah. I mean, like, we saved ourselves for marriage and all that. And they're like, man, you're so dumb, you know? And, and so, like, the, all the wait staff was just having a good time, right? And they're making fun of me. But there's this one girl in particular that was just like, she wouldn't let it go, right? She's like, I can't believe you did that. That's so stupid. You know, she was, like, particularly angry about it. Have y'all heard the saying, you throw a brick into the pack of dogs, the one that yelps is the one that got hit? Have you heard this saying before? Really? I guess, that's a, I guess that's an East Texas thing. I don't know. Throw a brick into a pack of dogs. The one that yelps is the one that got hit. Right? Well, this girl, I'm like, she's yelping. There must be something there. So at checkout, right, I, I, could, I just got tired of her just like, you know, yelling at me for doing what I know God told me to, you know? And, and so I remember at checkout, we're like suddenly settling the account. And uh, I was like, Morgan, you've been yelling at me all day. You know, you've been making fun of me all day about this. Have you ever stopped to think about why it might be right? She was like, no, what do you mean? Well, surprising, right? She hadn't thought about why we should wait for marriage, right? Um, and so I said, Morgan... The morning after my wedding, I woke up, I rolled over, and I looked at my wife. And it was the most intimate, closest, amazing, pure moment I've ever experienced with another human being. I can't describe it. In fact, describing it now sounds corny because our words just fail, right? And I said, Morgan, what are you going to do on the morning after your wedding? When you roll over... You look at your husband and think, he wasn't as good as the last guy. Or, God forbid, am I as good as the last girl? And Morgan, for the rest of your marriage, you will be competing with the memories that you and your husband carry. You will never have what I had. All things betray thee who betrayest me. That's what happens when you go against reality? She just started crying because she had been crushed by the rock. Does that make sense? So our culture now has strayed so far from reality, from the reality that Jesus spoke, the reality that Jesus displayed. It's no wonder that currently the levels of panic attacks, anxiety, and fear are through the roof. The surveys now coming out of like the, you know, Barna groups are ridiculous, right? We're panicky, we're scared, we're, we're just filled with anxiety and angst because all things betray thee who betrayest me. 
We search aimlessly for answers to the questions of life, like why am I here? Where do I belong? Who am I? Because lo, not contents thee, who contents not me. Jesus is the way. He is the course of conduct. He is the manner of thinking, feeling, and deciding. This is not what God has made us for. G.D. Watson says this, Just as all the character and life of the Godhead was formed and expressed in the person and life of our blessed Jesus, so, in a similar way, it is God's design that the fullness of the Christ life shall be reformed and expressed in us by the power of the indwelling and infilling of the Holy Spirit. There is hope. You know, I used to have this fear um, before I became a Christian. I was, I was really afraid that if I became Christian, it meant that I'd have to be like a dad and wear like a polo tucked into oversized khakis and wear like Adidas, you know, to church. And then like sneak out the door during the last worship song because you wanted to beat the traffic and get to Chick-fil-A before everybody else. Right? I thought I had to become that guy, right? Because I thought everybody in church was that guy. I thought every Christian was that guy. But that's not true. Contrary to that thought, you don't become more similar to others. When you walk with Jesus, you become more unique and more purposeful. You become more yourself. Just as water that flows into a bay takes on the contours of the shore, so the Holy Spirit, so the life of God, so the love of Jesus flows into your personality and accents the contours of who you are. You only become more of yourself when you walk with God because you become closer and closer to reality. C.S. Lewis talks about this, this episode in, in Mere Christianity. He talks about when the 12 are in the upper room and they're waiting for Jesus' return and Jesus walks through a wall. Jesus didn't pass through that wall because he was less solid than the wall. He passed through the wall because he was more solid. And that wall was nothing but mist because he was more real. As you walk with Jesus... You become more real. So, it's really fun that if you pursue heaven and his maker, he goes ahead and throws the earth in with it. That all the things you're anxious about, who am I, where do I fit in, who are my friends, where do I belong, those are all questions I struggled with. But Jesus answers them with himself. He's not kidding when he says, seek first the kingdom, and all things shall be added to you. Does that make sense? So, uh, if the band could go ahead and come back up, or out, they snuck up on me. So, here's what I want to do. Um, Most of y'all came with your life group leaders, right? Uh, BT Dubs, Jesus had a life group, so you should join one. Um, here, here's what I want, okay? I want you to find your life group leader, okay? And I know this, this might be a little bit scary, because maybe you just met like a couple hours ago, right? But come on, it's college, right? We all went through junior high, so real awkward was junior high. Let's have a little bit awkward, right? 
So I think some of you here are still in the place where you want heaven on your own terms, where you're still kind of mad about this exclusivity thing. And I want you to pray about that with your small group leader. And I believe that God will reveal to you truth and what truth really is, right? And maybe some of you are still living a life that's unreal, right? Maybe you're living a life that's detached from the reality that God describes. Does that make sense? And maybe you're still hurting yourself because of it. And maybe you're still hurting those around you. And I challenge you to confess to your small group leader, your life group leader, and pray together. Because the Bible says that when you confess your sins to one another, the Holy Spirit comes in. And you're forgiven. Lastly, maybe there's some of us who are still afraid to let Jesus into our life and let his life revitalize us. Maybe we're still nervous about really giving God control of our personalities. And I think the Holy Spirit's speaking right now to some of you, not you, but maybe the person next to you, because, <laughs> but maybe God's speaking to the people next to you, and he's put his finger on something in their life. Maybe that he's like, you need to let go of this thing in your life. You need to change this thing about who you are and you know it. I want you to confess that to one another because there's power in that. Listen, I'm going to tell you a little secret. The only power this stuff has is in secrecy, secrecy, right? When you turn on a light, the darkness scatters, right? So get with your life group. All right, I'll pray and while I'm praying, you'll get with your life group, okay?